0: Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 72. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of five stars on Trustpilot and has a five star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. back. hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So Hormone Harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today.
1: This is the therapy chat podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now here's Laura Reagan,
0: LCSWC with today's episode. Hi, welcome back to therapy chat. This is your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm going to bring you a very interesting interview with someone who is internationally known for her work with yoga therapy for anxiety and depression. Amy Weintraub is the creator of Life Force Yoga and the founder of the Life Force Yoga Healing Institute, the author of Yoga for Depression and Yoga Skills for Therapists, And she's been a pioneer in the field of yoga and mental health for over 20 years. She talks about yoga therapy and her book, Yoga Skills for Therapists, and how therapists can incorporate yoga practices into our work. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm super excited to have a very interesting guest with me. My guest today is Amy Weintraub. Amy, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Laura. Love to talk about what we do with life force yoga and psychotherapy.
0: Yes, I'm super excited because um, you are such an expert in the field of bringing yoga therapy into psychotherapy practice and I mean from what I see on your website you've been doing this for years and years so I'd love to hear more about yourself and your work
1: well thanks for this invitation to talk about what I love and what I am just passionate about because after years of psychotherapy and some training in it, although I'm not a licensed mental health professional, I am trained in um, internal family systems therapy and some other modalities, but my primary basis has been yoga. But after years of psychotherapy, which really helped me understand family of origin issues, my own depression was not lifting and I had also been a meditator for many years, but it was when I began an embodied practice of yoga in the mid-80s that my my whole life transformed, and I became passionate about sharing what had really saved my life with others. And I began to do create alliances with researchers and develop protocols and publish, uh, I think I wrote it, I did actually write the first article on yoga and mental health in 1999 in Yoga Journal. Uh, It was called Yoga, the Natural Prozac. And then since then, I've written a number of books and articles and chapters on yoga and mental health and, and specifically how to integrate uh, yoga into uh, psychotherapeutic settings and healthcare settings in general. Uh, the latest book being the Norton WW uh, Norton book, Yoga Skills for Therapists, and that uh, really covers a number of practices. There, I think there are fifty-two practices with clinical um, uses, case studies. And uh, not just from my own work, but from the many life force yoga practitioners who are mental health providers whom I've trained. And uh, we do trainings. Uh, That's the primary work is research, which we have some of. It's on the uh, it's on the yoga for depression website under research. And uh, training for health professionals and yoga teachers so that they feel, so yoga teachers feel confident in working with people who have mood disorders. And because people come with, for example, neck issues or hip issues or knee issues, and they think they're coming um, because they want adjustments or help been managing their uh, chronic pain in particular body areas. And there's always an emotional component. I mean, it's the body-mind connection. So yoga teachers often find themselves with people crying on the mat or release, having cathartic releases. So giving them the competency and the com- confidence to, to hold a safe and sacred container for emotions and to help people manage and regulate their moods. Um, That's important for yoga teachers as well as mental health professionals. And mental health professionals are finding that when they integrate, and we probably should define uh, yoga therapy as something other than what we're talking about, because yoga therapy is specific. There are standards now from the International Association of Yoga Therapists, in order to call yourself a yoga therapist, you need to have taken that training, uh, 800A training. And Life Force Yoga practitioner training is a component in many of the 800-hour programs. So that's the designation of the title Yoga Therapy. So what people who take our trainings or read the book or, you know, come to workshops do who are mental health professionals is begin to integrate practices that are from the yoga tradition but are made extremely accessible so that people who may have a resistance to the idea of, say, chanting Sanskrit or doing a pranayama breathing practice, are given tools that um, are not specific to any kind of religious tradition. So, for example, one of the primary practices we teach is um, stair-step breath. Now that's based on an ancient tradition of anuloma and viloma krama, but we call it stair step breath because I don't know about you, but as a yoga teacher, I find even just as recently as a few weeks ago, my cousin said to me I was visiting, and she said oh, I really like the yoga, the stretching part, but I I hate that breathing stuff. (laughs) And that's because people often are upper chest breathers, and there's a good reason for that. There's usually either, and it's usually both, a physiological component, but there's often a repression of material, a a tamping down of material that the, the person is not ready to deal with. And so if you invite, for example, what most yoga teachers and classes offer, the very first practice, yogic three-part breath, dirga pranayama, which is breathing to the bottom of the lungs, midsection, top of the lungs, some people will either not be able to do it, so immediately you've introduced a practice that your client is gonna fail at, or they're gonna have emotional flooding. And if this is your first session, it could be scary, shameful. The therapeutic container, the safe and sacred container, has not yet been established. So that's why, for example, we do we introduce a practice like um, stair step breath, which is much easier to accomplish and meets that upper, upper chest breathing style. I can go on and give you a couple other examples. For example, sometimes people who've done mindfulness training may invite their client to simply watch the breath at the beginning of a session. If someone is highly agitated, if someone is highly, has a history of trauma or uh, you know, general anxiety disorder and that, that anxiety is really present at that moment, it may be very challenging to simply watch the breath. Whereas if you give them a strategy from the yoga tradition that we teach in the Life Force Yoga Practitioner Training, that goes specifically to giving the mind a bone, giving the mind something to do, whether it's a tone, and we don't call it mantra chanting, but we have some universal sounds that we use, a mudra, hand gesture, or a breathing practice like the one I just mentioned, stair-step breath, then that gives the mind something to do, and there's so, and you're you're meeting that busy, overstimulated, hyper aroused state with something, and then then mindfulness, then um and a watching of the breath can occur. But it's often too, it actually creates more agitation to simply sit and watch the breath at the beginning of a session for someone who's anxious. So we teach a number of tools that come from the yogic tradition, but again, we make them accessible. And I could go over more of those tools. I've also written, I mean, just in terms of my own work, I've written a number of books. Yoga for Depression was the first book on yoga and mental health. And that was published um, in tw- 2004 uh, by Broadway Books Random House and is still selling well, so it's still available. And uh, lots of CDs and DVDs of practices a lot of them are available for free on our website, yogafordepression.com under Get Help. And you can also find practitioners who've taken the training, mental health practitioners who combined uh, these strategies into their clinical practice. Um, you can also find uh, people who've trained in both internal family systems, which uh, I'm, I think is such a good fit with life force yoga and yoga in general. Because if um, those of you who may be IFS practitioners know how important it is to find ways to to help a client find that place of self-energy where they can feel some curiosity, some compassion towards the parts that may be troubling them, the the uh, manager parts or the firefighter parts or the exiles. So it's really important to find self-energy. And then in in also in terms of working with parts, if a part has not yet been unburdened, uh, an exile, a wounded part, a younger part, and the session is complete, it may be appropriate to check in with the client and say, uh, check in with that part and say, with that part, feel comfortable with a soothing practice that we can give it until so that you can you can bring a soothing practice to that part when you're working with it at home this week and you can invite then the client to try on a practice and co-create a take-home practice with the client rather than prescribe it but rather co-create a practice based on the tools that we offer both in the book, the Yoga Skills for Therapists book, and in our
0: trainings. Wow, wow, wow. You just really got me with that last part because parts work is so powerful and work in the body with the breath or, you know, with the emotions that are held in the body is so important in my work as a trauma therapist. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm wanting to buy everything you're talking about and read everything you've written, but I can't do it all at once. But um. (laughs) no,
1: but you know, it's funny because I'm just preparing. I'm our level two, uh, trainings for life force yoga. We're, we have one coming up next week called the, uh, it's a trauma specialist life force yoga trauma specialist training. And I'm presenting a day of internal family systems in life force yoga. And it's, uh, it's just, I love that work because I think they go so beautifully hand in hand. And I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, I love it when there's that kind of synergy between modalities. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think we'll also be, we're actually preparing a, an IFS and life force yoga uh, module um, that will be rolling out at probably in 2017 with you know with
0: internal family
1: systems with uh, the executive director John Schw- Schwartz uh, and I are working on that. so
0: Wow, uh, that's amazing. I mean I, what I know and our listeners don't is that you just came back from teaching in Australia. you have so many trainings all around and I mean, it's incredible. I'm just like, I want to go to each one. I'm serious. Aww, well,
1: thank you, Laura. <laughs> um, we're actually doing, I'm flying um, the next weekend to do a module on IFS and Life Force Yoga at Kripalu. And Kripalu Center, I teach quite often on the East Coast in the Berkshires. And I'm often in the D.C. area, um, you know, at Willow Street and also at the Psychotherapy Networker Symposium and Our main training is in Tucson. You can do module trainings, but our main residential retreat trainings is in Tucson and at Yogaville and outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, But would you like to do a little uh, stair-step breath since I mentioned it? Sure,
0: because I'm really not familiar with what that is.
1: Sure. Well, so you probably, anyone who's taken a yoga class has gone in and they've they've been led in yogic three-part breath. And that's sort of the the ujjayi yogic three-part breath. Those are the traditional breaths.
0: Okay. And
1: they're not really accessible to someone who's an upper chest breather and uh, so when you and again if you get someone to breathe to the bottom of their lungs and they're not they they are tamping down their emotion there can be a catharsis and that's fine when you've been working with someone for four or five sessions and you have that container but in the, initially that can be a little scary yeah so uh stair step breath is meeting that state of agitation So it's taking little steps of breath. We don't even talk about the breath. We talk about little steps through the nostrils as though you're climbing a mountain. So just follow along with me. So taking little steps through the nostrils. And at your own pace, when you get to the top of the mountain, slide. And again, at your own pace, take little steps as though you're climbing a mountain. And when you get to the top, maybe look out for a moment and see something beautiful. And slide down. And one more time, just like that. Little steps up. Get to the top, look out, see something that lights you up inside, and slide down. And allow your natural breath to find you again, and inhale to the crown, I am, exhale. To the sit bones, the seat here, grounded. Inhale to the crown, I am. Exhale to your feet here, ready. And as you're ready, from this place of presence, you can allow your eyes to open if they've closed. So we just did part one of three parts of yogic, three-part breath, and that was, I mean, of stair-step breath, and that was to meet the anxious mind. If we were to to also be working with, and 80% of the time anxiety coexists with depression, if we were to be working with depression, we would not only have taken little steps up and then slide the breath out, we would have also then, after a couple of rounds, two or three rounds, taken an elevator ride or an escalator up to the top of the mountain. Because at that point, deeper breath is accessible after doing the first part. And then we'll take little steps down, which creates a mild, what we call in yoga, Kriya, or activating the solar plexus, very good for anxiety and depression very good um, especially for diabetes 2 and depressive states that it's a very mild and clinically appropriate more rapid breathing practice and then we would have taken little steps up and then maybe pause depending on the client see something beautiful and little steps down which is, again, more activating. You can feel your belly pumping as you do that, and but it's mild, not like a big Kapalabhati um, kapala breath or Nali, some of the more intense breathing, which is not appropriate in clinical setting because it's not grounded in a lot of other physical practices, and people can be overstimulated with some of the more intense breathing that many people know, like breath of fire and Apalabhati skull shining, not appropriate in a clinical setting, whereas this one is a little stimulating, especially the second and third parts, uh, but not over the top. It's not going to, you know, it's, it's, it's more grounding. And notice that I also, at the end, invited you to inhale to the crown, I am, exhale to the seat here, and then exhale to the feet here, because Really, we want to be grounding our clients. We don't want them to be overly agitated. We want them to be present and grounded when they open their eyes. Now, had we had more time or if this were a therapeutic session, from that place of groundedness, before I invited you to allow the eyes to open, I would have said from this place of connectedness, groundedness, allow an intention for our work together to arise or something like that, or an intention that, that um, you know, the, what's the burning bush in your heart? Why are you here? Something uh, that allows them to f- create a, what we call in yoga, a sankalpa, but an intention for the the work that we're going to do together, and then when they open their eyes i would check in and say you know did something rise and then that would form the basis of uh our work together and i could i can go back to it i would refer back to it again if someone is really agitated they may need help in in probing and and finding that but that's it's it's good to inquire and to then work with the client to frame an intention that feels authentic to them rather than layered on by the practitioner or the clinician. Yeah. So, there's one other aspect we haven't gotten to that is really important, I think, for clinicians, and that is, and for yoga professionals, to cue to direct sensation, not global sensation, it's a little um, confusing, but if you simply say, as so many clinicians do and so many yoga teachers do, feel the sensations in your body, inquire into them, feel the, it can actually be very agitating for someone who's living from the neck up, who's a trauma survivor, or even someone who just says general anxiety disorder, what am I supposed to feel? Kind of so, rather than that, after a pr- leading a practice, and I didn't have time to fit it in, but I think it's important to mention to cue to direct sensation where there's a lot of sensation in the face, the lips, the fingertips, the palms. So, sense into the palms, sense into the fingertips, sense into the energy shimmering around the hands, and then do the inhale to the crown I am, exhale to the seat here, present. And that way you are grounding it, but you've also created a leap over that
0: mind's fear of being in the body. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big thing for a lot of people that they want to feel what's happening in their body, but they are very disconnected from it. And that's distressing.
1: Yes, yes. So to to ask them to feel the sensations in their body can create even more distress, but if you direct them to specific, not global sensation, they can find their way it 's so empowering it 's so important because you 're giving people a way to get to reoccupy their body it's, it's, I think that 's a key
0: yeah it 's like a route in mhm i 'd like to just talk a little bit about something that I think people probably don 't think about with. When they think of yoga skills in therapy, is you talk about how it's movements and sounds and meditations and the breath. So it's all of the things that encompass what yoga is. And it's not just like you said about the friend who said, you know, I love the stretches or your cousin, you know, it's not just the physical movements. There's so much more to it. So can you, can you talk briefly about that concept?
1: Sure. Many people, when they hear the word yoga, think of the postures and that's a part of it. That's uh, that's a part of it, but it's only a part. Um, There are many other parts that are ancient and, and, and yet we have made them accessible in life force yoga for clinical work. So we're talking about the pranayama, which is the breathing exercises. And as an example, I gave um, stair-step. So we've made it, uh, we've used secular language rather than the Sanskrit. There are also mantra tones. There's uh, more and more evidence uh, for the efficacy of using sound, um, not only to help people breathe more deeply, but um, the vibratory quality of the sound actually stimulates areas of the brain, very effective for working with anxiety and depression. So we have a whole series of mantras that are not tied to any deity, so so they're universal sounds. We have some energizing grounding sounds, um, and then we also have some calming soothing sounds. So we move through the chakra system, the energy centers of the body, with these sounds. We also incorporate mudras, which are hand gestures. There are more nerve endings in the fingers and the fingertips than most other parts of the body. They directly uh, create send messages to the brain. They also affect breathing into the lobes of the lungs. So uh, they're very... Um, you know, in our trainings, we do an experiment where we touch different fingers together and people are amazed to see that the breath actually moves to different areas in their body when different mudras are, are used. Um, so, and they can be used in a way where um, those mirror neurons pick them up. So if someone's quite agitated, there can be, uh, the therapist can sit with a mudra that will uh, deepen the breath to the bottom of the lungs, and perhaps the client will also mirror that mudra or can be invited to take that mudra, and the breath will generally deepen just from the placement of the fingertips. Um, there are also a number of meditations. There's also yoga nidra, which is a deep Deep relaxation that also includes an exploration of the opposites, both emotion, well, starting with physical sensation, but also emotion and belief system. So, and there's much research there too that Yoga Nidra is very powerful for post traumatic stress disorder in helping people defuse, de kind of uh, detach, see the memory without so much um, gripping, emotional gripping around it. It's also fabulous for chronic pain. I recently had major surgery and I'll tell you, I wouldn't take opioids and uh, except they gave them to me in the hospital. So I had great meditations in the hospital, (laughs) but once I got out, I didn't want to take them and I was in severe pain and I wasn't allowed to take um, ibuprofen or any of that kind of thing. I can only take aspirin. The only thing that worked for me was yoga nidra practice. Wow. So yeah, it really helped, and you know, it wears off after a while. But I'd have an hour or two that would be relatively pain-free, and so it it works very well with chronic pain and and chronic emotional pain. Uh, So there are, and in our training, we do include all of what I've just mentioned, including movements that are appropriate in a clinical setting for. Uh, mental health professionals who are not yoga teachers, so they're not mat-based practices, but they are movement-based. So you might have someone stand up, you know, and do a breathing practice standing up uh, that in, that also incorporates some movement and sound, and that meets the agitated set state, and then cueing them to direct sensation so that they're. And then cueing them to inhale to the crown, exhale to the feet so that they're grounded and in the body. And what happens is even if you're leading, if we are leading one of these energizing breathing practices to meet an agitated state of mind, if... Cueing to sensation occurs afterwards. And if there's that grounding, people tend to be, if you ask them how they're feeling, they feel calmer, more centered, clearer, um, and more focused. And they have greater access to emotions and more clarity around what would work in the next, uh, in that therapy session for them, what they're there for.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So... In the interest of time, I'll go ahead and tell our audience that your latest book, as you mentioned, is Yoga Skills for Therapists and your website is yogafordepression.com and people can read up on everything you have there and see all the great trainings and articles and just, it's a really a wealth of information on your website. So I think that'll be um, what our listeners are going to want to do after they listen to this. They're going to want to go there and, you know check out everything you have going on. I appreciate Amy so much that you were on Therapy Chat today.
1: Thank you, Laura. I I enjoyed my discussion with you, and I hope to meet you on the yoga path, the psychotherapy path at some point in the future.
0: Yes, I hope so too. Thank you so much. Okay, namaste. (laughs) Namaste. Thank you for listening to my interview with Amy Weintraub. I hope you enjoyed our discussion about yoga therapy. I am really fired up about it. You know, after hearing what Bessel van der Kolk said about how yoga therapy is going to be the only way for trauma therapy to take place in the future, I'm planning on getting trained in Amy's life force yoga Um, She has a training coming up for that in July at Kripalu, and I'm going to that one. But she's also there offered throughout the year, and you can even do them online. There's one in the Bahamas coming up soon. I thought that sounded pretty great, but I can't quite make that one work this time. Thanks so much for listening to Therapy Chat today. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode. As always, you can visit my website, therapychatpodcast.com, and you can send me a message through SpeakPipe there, or feel free to shoot me an email, which you can also do through my website. I'd love to hear from you. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. Thank
1: you for listening to the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, visit Laura's website at www.loraraganlcswc.com.